The year is 2022. Record. Rate. Review. The movie RRR. Welcome to Unspooled. I'm Amy Nicholson. And I'm Paul Shear. And this is the podcast where we are trying to find the best movies ever made. And when we do, we are sending them into outer space. We are in week two of our hero series. Today, we are talking about the epic RRR, which if you've not seen it yet, how dare you? I mean, this movie will blow your mind. It is the definition of what a summer blockbuster should be. But before we get into that, Amy, let's talk about our Superman responses. I found a lot of people were not down with Superman, like a pretty 50-50 split. That's surprising. That's surprising. It's hard for me to adjust to that. Am I an alien from the planet Krypton? It feels like a perfect movie. I wonder if it's coming from the point of view of when you saw it. So many people I spoke to online, on the Discord, and on Twitter had seen it for the first time recently and just kind of felt like, yeah, it's fine, but there are better. And I think it's an interesting argument because we always talk about this idea of did it do it best or did it do it first? Right. Did it set the template or did it perfect the template? I mean, to me, I think Superman 1978 did both. But I can imagine if you want different things from a superhero movie than I do. Like, I want to care deeply about this person and have him have an actually credible love story, which I know is not perhaps always in fashion. I can see why you'd, you'd want something bigger, more epic, more punching. No, I agree with that. I think a lot of people point to Homecoming as being their film that kind of checks all those boxes. Like, the new, the first of the John Watts Spider-Man trilogy really kind of pulled them in in that same way. And I have to say that that movie is pretty special in a similar way to Superman. Wow. I mean, like, no shade on, on like, the John Watts Spider-Man movies, which I think have gotten better and better, and absolutely no shade on Tom Holland, who I think is wonderful. But I remember basically nothing about that movie. except. What? Except the sensation of like, shouldn't there be more Zendaya? I thought thought there'd be more. Oh, come on. Michael Keaton? Return to form. I Michael mean, he Keaton was, dressed as a bird again. He wasn't dressed as a bird, Amy. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's a another conversation. But I did find it really interesting that a film that has resonated so much with me was kind of reacted to with a, eh, yeah, that's fine. Well, maybe maybe this speaks to to the idea that we are kind of getting over superheroes in general. Maybe, maybe I do believe that this is true. I I, I feel like if I keep saying it. Every six months, eventually I'll be proven right. Maybe this well, year, maybe in 2029. I, I don't know. Don't I'll keep know. saying it. I don't know if so many people are behind you on this. This is not your I Spartacus moment. Well, maybe it's my RRR moment where we are suddenly here as like film nerds in America getting obsessed with this amazing hero blockbuster from India that to me takes 
the bigness of anything a Marvel movie has done in recent history and outbiggins it for way less money and with way more emotion. I think RRR, the movie we're about to talk about, which I am so excited having just like witnessed it kind of grow and grow and grow and gather steam over the last couple months as it got as it's gone in and out of theaters, now on Netflix. Like to me, this is a movie that has maybe everything you could want in a giant movie if you're a person like me. It has the action that's huge and it has like the actual emotional core that I need. I really need that in my superhero movies. I love that. So, Amy, without any further ado, let's parambam. Telugu or unspool it. Or as close as I can get it to him, unspool it. The year is 2022. And much like the two years preceding it, the year is heavily defined by COVID-19 and the slow rollout of restrictions lifting worldwide. Russia invades the Ukraine in the largest armed conflict in Europe since World War II to date. Nearly 14 million Ukrainians have been displaced. Beijing hosts the Winter Olympics and Americans continue to beg for gun control and abortion rights. The hot films of this year include Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Top Gun Maverick, The Batman, and today's film, R, R, R. Amy, who's in it? What's it about? And I mean, what's on the radio right now? <laughs> R, R, R. Directed by S.S. Rajamouli and written by his 80-year-old dad, V. Vijavendra Prasad, who has written all of S.S. Rajamouli's hit movies. And when I say hit movie, I mean that three of Rajamouli's movies are in the top five highest grossing Indian films of all time. Three of the top five. They were all made in the last seven years. I mean, between Avatar and Titanic, James Cameron only has two of the top five. The Russos also have two of the top five, by the way. But again, Rajamouli, he's got three. In this movie, RR, it is an over-the-top fictional film about two very, very real men in Indian history. Komaram Bhim and Alari Sitarama Raju. In real life, these two men both fought against British oppression at around the same time, 1920s. RR imagines, what if they were best friends? Who were also forced to become enemies for very, very good reasons. And what if they were played by two of the biggest male movie stars in India? N.T. Ramarao Jr., better known as Junior NTR. He plays Beam, this jungle hero who is here on a quest to rescue a little girl who has been taken from his tribe by a powerful British family. And... Ram Charan, who plays Raju, who's this like super soldier who is deep, deep undercover, pretending to be loyal to the British in order to steal their guns and bring them back to his village so then he can go and kill all the British. Uh, Their friendship is epic. The deeds in this movie are epic. The battles are epic. And the battles have a menagerie of CG tigers who, in the opening intro, we are assured are all CG. No animals were hurt in this movie, um, which is wonderful. They actually list it. I found that really impressive. They list it like specifically no horses, oxen, birds, tigers, wolves, bears, leopards, deer, fish, or snakes were hurt in the making of this movie. And if by this point you haven't stopped this podcast to watch RRR, if you haven't already, you should. You should. Because I'll just play even one more bit from the beginning to tease you. I will play the minute that Raju and Beam meet and shake hands. And to picture this, they are swinging under a bridge while rescuing a child fisherman from a flaming train wreck. Oh, 
So yes, we have already said that RRR was a huge hit in India. It got a fair amount of buzz here when it was first released in the States on March 24th, 2022. Enough that I went to go see it right then in theaters and had the absolute best time. But since then, the buzz has continued to build and RRR was recently back in theaters, kind of like Morbius, but unlike Morbius, it actually uh, was great. When RRR was put back in theaters, people went, theaters sold out. And it is now crushing it um, in the Netflix rating. So this is just fascinating film history happening in the making. And I have to admit, because my brain tends to be so focused on movies, I had absolutely no idea what song was number one on the Billboard charts uh, like three months ago on March 24th, 2022. Does anybody? I'm giving people a pause to think because I can say as a hint, it is not by CG Animals. It is by Glass Animals is a song called Heatwave by Glass Animals, and the official YouTube video has over 312 million views. So I should know about this, and it sounds like this. I actually I like uh, have had that in my head for the last like hour. So thank you. Thank you, Glass <laughs> Animals. Now, an interesting distinction on this movie is it's not a Bollywood film. Uh, it is from Hyperbod, which is technically Tollywood, but not Tollywood from uh, Bengali cinemas. This is actually Tollywood that produces Telugu films. So this is a very interesting moment here in Indian cinema, because I think for a long time, Bollywood has been viewed as the the real output source of great giant films in India. But they are being uh, challenged a little bit. Like there are other uh, places in India that are producing movies that not only compete, but even trump uh, the productions that are coming out of uh, Bollywood. Yeah, it can get really confusing trying to like make sense of the of the film industry in India because it's so huge. Like here in America, we make 400 ish movies a year Uh, in India. They make like 1800 movies a year and in all sorts of different languages of of those 1800, like a little less than half are um, are done in the language of Hindi. Uh, Telugu is more like 15 percent ish like that. So it's a smaller fraction of like the language market. But as of this year, because of because of basically Rajamuli, uh, it now makes more money than all of the Hindi films. It's like kind of exploded in popularity. But it means also like all of this is very complicated for the actors. Like if you're a person really steeped in this world, which uh, I'm not, I'm like, I'm fascinated to learn more about it. It's like a big deal that like the love interest here, um, the actress who plays Sita, Ali Abad, that this is the first time she's in a film where she's speaking Telugu. Usually she doesn't. Um, and also the actors here, it was sort of a big deal that when they released this film in different parts of India, they did their own dubbing in like four different other languages. They had to dub it in like Tamil and in Hindi and Kannada and Malayam. And it's like, Massive. It's a massive undertaking to like make a film that reaches all corners of this like gigantic country that already has like so much competition in so many languages. And then you talk about these two stars and we're going to get into the movie in a second. But these two stars are truly blockbuster actors who 
often are not paired with someone that is their equal. Like think about the Al Pacino, uh, you know, Robert De Niro moment in Heat when those two got on screen together. It was like, oh my God, like they're they're doing it. They're together in one movie. And then right, or it like was- like Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, something like that. Right, yeah. It's like a very big deal that these two guys- came on screen together and did a movie that's very equally weighted. I mean, I think that they're probably on screen for the exact same amount of time. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to put it in perspective of like how big these guys are. The reason this movie is called RRR, you know, yeah, they translate it to like, you know, rise, roar, revolt. But really, the reason it's called RRR is just because these stars are so big and the director is big that it was just announcing that it's a movie with all three of them. That it's with Raja Muli, with Rama Rao and with Ram Charan. They're just like bragging. It's like if it's like if David Fincher did a movie with Denzel Washington and Viola Davis and called it DDD. Like that's kind of what this is. And then they <laughs> had to come in. up with a reason for why it was called DDD. All right. Well, let me just talk about my reaction to this movie, because you hear the time like three hours and 10 minutes. And you're like, okay, what is this going to be? Uh, I'm, I know I'm going to have to take breaks or whatever it is. And this three hours blew by in an instant. It is such an engaging film that just grabs you by the throat from moment one. And just, I felt like it just sailed through. And for a film that is not in your native tongue, it is in capturing me, at least, on so many levels. I feel viscerally connected to this movie every step of the way. And I know I talked in the past about, well, I, you know, I wanted to watch the dub of Akira because I wanted to appreciate the scenery. This is a movie that is so beautifully shot that I'm constantly looking at the framing, the action, every moment of it. But I, I feel a connection to these characters. There is a, this movie to me was one of the most um, transcendent experiences I've felt in a subtitled movie, which sometimes <laughs> I think can keep you a little bit at arm's reach just because, you know, you are, you're kind of forcing yourself to experience it on two different levels. Yeah. I mean, when I saw this movie with my boyfriend in theaters, we spent the whole time high-fiving because it was just like, well, I've never seen that before. We should high-five. Absolutely never seen like a fighting scene where, one man is riding another man's shoulders and bending over backwards, shooting rifles at like, you know, I don't know, trees, all sorts of madness. Definitely never seen that. Definitely never seen two men get on a bridge, one of them on a motorcycle, one of them on a horse, communicate non-verbally, leap off the bridge into flames. This movie, like, I feel like a third of it is in slow motion and great. I don't like if this movie would be two hours and 45 minutes, if it wasn't all in slow motion, I don't even care. I don't even mind. I love just watching like the epicness of what is happening on screen. Here's another thing. When you describe those scenes, you sound insane and (laughs) and you should sound insane because what I've seen in this movie was shocking. Right. It's a movie in which the first action sequence, one man fights off a thousand people with a stick. And then the action <laughs> heightens all the way to the end. And that that level of excitement throughout the film is every action sequence is incredibly specific. Every action sequence is mind-blowing in its own right, and it never gets overdone. And, and I was really starting to think about this movie. I'm like, oh my gosh, I understand why people love this. 
because there is a joy to this movie. This movie is pure joy and it's not ironic. There's no quips. There's no um, meta winking at the camera like we are in a movie. It is pure, unadulterated, like we're going to blow this out. I don't even think this movie thinks it's cool. Like there's an element of John Woo and I love John Woo, but like, oh, it's so stylized. There's something here that, and I keep on going back to it, like that is pure. Like it is truly connecting on an emotional, visceral level. And it, it's a joyful in the relationships. It's joyful on the action. Uh, it's joyful in the dancing. It's a movie that is like Rambo that has a 10 minute dance scene in the middle of it. Like, and it doesn't feel out of place. And it actually feels like, why aren't there more dance scenes in it? <laughs> yeah, it is somehow so far over the top that you are just staggered and, and awed and yet deeply sincere, deeply sincere. Yes. Like this is a movie of like earnest emotion and emotions that I feel like are lovely to see on screen. Like the emotion of friendship of just two guys who adore the hell out of each other, who are like, we are like-minded souls who can rough and tumble, run around in fields, you know, like climb giant cakes made of red people in shirts. I don't know why they're even climbing it, but they climb it. They climb a giant Busby Berkeley style cake of human beings. The way these two actors- To break open a pinata, which is probably not called a pinata, but it was, you know, look, it looked like it was amazing. I would love to be climbed on by them. They just play tug of war for fun. They help each other like meet women. I mean, the way these two actors just smile at each other with such joy, it felt like a relief. I mean, especially after something like the Batman, where it's just like, I'm going to mope around with wet, spiky hair. I mean, my God. Like, well, and yet, and yet this isn't like dumb and cheerful the whole way through. It's like happy when it's happy, sad when it's sad. It is the emotions it needs to be when the scene calls for them without putting some sort of like oppressive mood on it to make it feel deep. I think what I really responded to in this movie is it breaks the mold of what we're used to. Regardless of how clever and well done it is, all these movies that we've been watching in American cinema are these CGI, animatic, you know, oftentimes darkly lit scenes that seemingly are cool and they're fun to watch, but there's nothing specific about them. Like it's it's very much in the moment, you're like, oh my God, that was awesome. And then you walk away and you don't remember it here. I remember every little detail and you're doing things where you will show one bullet firing and take the time of one bullet firing. Things are so beautifully lit. You get to actually see the action, embrace the action in a way that I I think we forget like why we're here. And I think one of the reasons why Top Gun Maverick got the response it did was because it does follow a similar game plan. It's unironic earnestness. And I and I could go back and go like, this is the reason why people like Shit's Creek. Like, is Shit's Creek trying to be meta or anything? No, it's like, we're just doing a classic, straightforward sitcom. Here are the characters. There's nothing totally crazy about them, but they're just, they are funny characters doing their job. And this is, you're right, like the moments of brutality in this movie. There's a moment where these two best friends, they turn on each other, or they don't turn on each other, but they, one is forced to whip the other, you know, and, and into submission. And that sequence 
it carries all the weight of that. And that is maybe 10 minutes after a sequence where literally they're picking up giant vases, things that you could never pick up, like like Thor couldn't pick these vases up and throwing them at each other like they are like coffee mugs, which was preceded by 10 minutes before that, where there's a dance number, like the um, the amount of emotions and where that you're going, like, and the, the fact that this movie can orchestrate that you are feeling joy, you're at the edge of your seat, and then you're feeling this tremendous pain and you're watching this sadness like that to me the orchestration of that the conduction being able to be a director who can conduct through every element of that is really really interesting no it's so true like when I first moved to LA my best friend Ernest and I went to Cantor's and we decided to come up with an artistic movement that we wanted to call passionate realism where it was this idea of like Owning the fact that you want to entertain, owning the fact that you want to do like a big, wonderful story that makes people feel emotions, but yet like not having any irony into it. And like we were saying this coming out of like a period where everything was sort of meanly ironic, you Mm -hmm. know, like in the early 2000s, everything was like kind of quippy and sarcastic. And like our idol was Bobby Hill from King of the Hill, because it was just a purity to Bobby Hill that everything Bobby Hill did, he just like threw himself in completely And I just have always wanted more of that from our movies because I feel like now we're not mean ironic, but everything is just like meta commenting on everything else that's come before it. And granted, there is some of that here. Like every single time that I would watch like in this movie, uh, the actor like Ram Charan is like Raju walk through fire in slow motion. I was like, okay, I get it. I know that you've seen Terminator 2. I also love Terminator 2. He's a wonderful Terminator 2. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. But it's not trying to make me feel like hey, you should know that I'm really cool and smart and I have like a great DVD collection, which is how I feel like half the time when I'm watching movies. Like, did you know I took this shot from The Exorcist? Well, it doesn't feel to me like the movie is, again, like trying to show you how much it knows. It's like, this is the only way we can show this. Like nothing feels here like, oh, I've seen that done somewhere else. Like, yes, fire, whatever. But the way that the fire opens up there's a moment where the fire almost like opens as a curtain. He attacks and the fire closes again. Like, I think we're, we're both saying the same thing, which is like, can't you just have fun? Can't you just embrace what people want from a movie theater experience, which is a celebration, like something that you can't see. We don't have to be cooler than it. We want to be taken on this journey. We don't like, I didn't think at any point, How is Beam able to pick up a motorcycle, use it as a sword, and then throw it across the jungle? Like, or how (laughs) is Beam able to literally rip concrete out of the ground? Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Only when you get caught up in that stuff is when the movie is trying so hard for like a rational logic. I think what this movie does instead is it, commits the emotional truth, right? Yes, emotional truth. And as long as you have that, I will go anywhere. Like I will believe that his heart will want him to give him that strength. Like I don't need to like go like, well, wait, how is is he a Superman? Because he is, or they both are. Arguably, like if you saw these two actions in a superhero movie, you'd be like, yes, that checks out. Here it makes no sense, but it does make all the sense in the world. 
it does because their hearts are that big. These yes. are two guys with just like such passion, such like drive. I mean, let's just jump back and like start talking about like how how say let's start let's start with how we get introduced to Raju in that like one man against a thousand people fight, which is just like staggering. This movie opens basically with like what would be the climactic scene of a zombie film, you know, yeah. with like a, you know a barracks of like British soldiers, you know, and and like Indian nationals who are working for the British soldiers, you know, surrounded by people who are angry because like the British have imprisoned like a revolutionary hero to them, like one of their leaders. And so you're sort of already kind of put on this kind of strange mid moment of like moral alignment, right? Where like the people outside the fence are the good guys, you know, deeply. Like these are the people who are being oppressed. These are like the victims of, of this British regime that's happening right now. It's kind of like when we watched Lagan, right? Like the people outside right. the fence are angry for the same reason that the characters in Lagan were. You know, this like really lovely uplifting movie that we watched earlier this year or last year. And yet, like the person that we are watching kick ass is like working for the British and it is Raju. And he just comes out and like leaps over barbed wire. An impossible leap with, to, with the goal of getting out this one man who threw a rock. And like, it's astonishing to me in this scene, like how much is just like translated through eyes, you know, like this is a staggering, like action sequence, but it is silent in a lot of ways. You're looking at like the glint in like Raju's eyes as he's like, I'm going after this guy, like that resolve that he has. And you're watching the guy in the red turban who he's chasing go from like, he can't get me. That's insane. How could he get me to, oh my God, he's actually coming for me. He looks up at the cliff. You know that the guy's thinking, I have to make a break for the cliff. You're following everything that's happening, all the emotions and all the action just through these visuals, just through watching people look at things, look at each other. And through the sound design, like I want to play a clip from the sound design that I just love, which is like, there's a moment where you're like, no way, no way he can't get through this. I don't think I even want him to beat all these people. This seems wrong, right? And he's like surrounded by, you know, people attacking him, trying to bring him down, trying to keep him from arresting one of their own. And you go into what I can only describe as like a human cave. He's inside this cave of humans where it gets like deathly quiet. And all you can hear is the sound of him like, breaking people's fingers on his way to get out. The idea that this movie gets bigger from here? Insanity. And yet it does. Yes, we've seen this sequence before, like in like zombie movies or The Raid, but there's something about the way it's directed where the people in this group, these thousand faces that are all attacking him, like I feel connected to them, right? Like it's it's different. Like they feel like they are actually people fighting him, not just a horde of CGI blanks. Right. And I wonder if it's because of that emotional pull that you're talking about too, because obviously we have to feel that that group of people on the other side of the wall are right. Like they are right here. Um, And we're going to come to learn that our hero who is beating them to a pulp is doing it because he also stands with them, but he's trying to do something for a greater good. But I did find that to be really interesting where there was a connection to people that I've never seen before in a sequence that's so large And I think 
throughout this entire movie, they really do a great job of connecting the face of the enemy or the face of the person they are fighting. And I think that that probably stems from the fact that they're great bad guys in this movie. I mean, they are the most mustache twirling evil people of all time. I mean, if you're a fan of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, we get Allison Duty, who was uh, the backstabbing Nazi to Indiana Jones as the very, very evil wife Ugh. of the uh, the colonel in this movie. I mean, she when one is, of the guys is getting whipped. She's like, there's hardly any blood. Hit him harder. I mean, yeah. Wow. I, it, it's so, so great. Like, But I do think that this movie does a great job of not making anyone faceless. I think that actually connects you a little bit more. I remember reading something that um, Spielberg said about like certain movies where you can't follow the action because you don't even know who's getting punched or why they're getting punched. Yeah. And even though these are big sequences where they're breaking out of a jail, they are fighting uh, off, you know, uh, special forces in the jungle. You are seeing each person. It's not like we're going to take out 10 people. They take out they ultimately take out like one or two people at a time, right? Like, or, you know, it's not like, it's not just a numbers game. It's like, you see the battle. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to like wrap my head around why these sequences feel more alive. And maybe it's yeah. because they're real people. I don't know. I mean, I wonder if part of it is, I think we've been kind of forced to adjust to epic battle scenes that are by design faceless because it's movies trying to have epic battle scenes, but also trying to get a PG-13 rating. So right. they have to make it kind of bloodless and like people are fighting. And we can't make uh, our like heroes kill. Of, right. We can't make them kill people that are like, people. we can have them kill robots. So we can yeah, have them kill. buggy aliens. Yeah. Like yeah, but they're not killing people because we need our heroes to be really simple. They can yeah. be sad, but they can't ever do anything bad. And 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 or they are like killing machines, right? right? So it's it's not like it's like oh well now like the raid is a perfect example. Now fight all these people who are also amazing at this style of martial art or something like that. Like there is something about this where it is. I mean, yeah, these are normal people. They are soldiers. I think that is more endearing there's something about seeing that i think that that you and not to keep on drawing this comparison but the top gun maverick of it all like it again it's like when you see the bad guy there's very clean clear like this is it this is the target this is what we have to do and i think in an attempt to make things cooler and more interesting we start to convolute everything and we forget like there is something fun about a movie like roadhouse where you're like I just want to see him rip that guy's throat out. Like, you know, yeah. and, and uh, you know, it's like, there's something, that's why we love these movies. Like, and they I mean, Stone not, yeah. Cold for you. You were right. Oh yeah. You said Stone Cold was fun and it was. <laughs> Stone Cold is super, Stone Cold should have been a bigger movie, right? Like, I mean, it like, it had all the elements to be big. It just kind of didn't connect. But if like, that was Patrick Swayze. I mean, I, I still like Brian Bosworth, but, uh, but yeah, like there is, like that 80s excess. I think we talk about that a lot, like that cocaine fueled, like we're making movies, we're going to blow stuff up, we're going to have fun. Even though it was like a a cocaine fueled whatever, and I think that's probably, uh, you know, not being fair to most of the film directors who are making cool stuff there, but it's like this idea of like just big, fun ideas. Like, And I think high concept used to be simpler and now high concept has gotten almost 
too convoluted. Like, you know, it's like, you know, we just want to go on a fun journey. Give me Lost Boys, not like give me the old movies, but it's like, give me those feelings that I got with those movies where it was just easy to root for a good guy, a bad guy, uh, love, you know, hate. Like there's this, there's something very minimal about the emotions, but maximum in the action. Right. Like what I would say happens in RRR as like we have this kind of arc of both, you know, uh, Beam and Raju is like they experience tons of different emotions. Right. You know, they experience yeah. like joy and fear and like need and quest and hunger and losing and like desperation and everything. They experience pain and triumph. They experience all these emotions. But if you ask me at the end, did they learn a lesson I would probably say no. And this is where I get annoyed at a lot of movies is I feel like there's kind of a pressure here in America to learn a lesson like Mm -hmm. that. Maybe they've like maybe they walk away at the end of this movie, you know, like going on some sort of personal arc where they've like learned like a truth that they'll never forget. And they'll like say it to each other in the last minute, you know, something like that. And they just don't have to do that here. There's no like take a beat and be like, believe in yourself. You know, that's all you got to do, man. You just got to believe in yourself or who you are is okay, man. Who you are is okay as you are. And I'm just so tired of it because it's kind of the same lesson over and over again. And it doesn't feel necessary to go on an emotional ride. Well, like, look, the, the journey is very simple. They both have two very defined wants. I want to get this young girl back to my village because we are lost without her. I want to make sure that we can rise up in revolution. And both of those stories, one is a little bit more selfish and one is, uh, you know, much more general. And I think if anything, at the end, I would say that Beam says, oh, my gosh, you've inspired me to think that it is possible to for us to rise up. Like, it doesn't have to just be a lone moment. And like, cause that final moment is like, what can I, you, you save me. What can I do for you? And he's like, you can teach me. And they clasp hands. It's like, fuck yeah, let's go. Like, but this idea that they are, they are trying to get back their freedom. I mean, that's what they're trying. That's what, that's what kind of connects them. Like they are, they are the perfect specimen. They are pure they are for the people they both are for their people um and there's nothing wrong with that like really there's nothing there what's wrong about that i mean look a lot of things go you know go down but i mean even when he captures a tiger he will you know beam kisses the tiger's head and it's like i'm sorry to do this to you but believe me tiger it's for the greater good and um you know when he like when the tiger growls at him and he growls back We should actually say, I mean, this is probably where we should talk about the fact that like, you know, these two characters, like who they're really based on, you know, that they lived kind of like lives like this. I mean, like Beam is a guy who in real life, like he grew up in the forest. He never had a chance to have like proper schooling you know, because like his land was always being taken by like different forces. 
you know, as like a farmer, he was just always forced to like move around and move around and move around and move around. And he never got to like hold still and learn anything. Like he finally like works at a tea plantation and he becomes this like union activist there. He gets arrested for like trying to help form kind of like a labor union type of movement at a tea plantation. He yeah. escapes from jail and then like decides that it is time that he has to really revolt. You know, and he comes up with the slogan that you see at the end of the movie, like water, forest, land, and kind of does like does great work kind of inspiring people to revolt and then is eventually shot by the police. And meanwhile, like Raju, like his whole thing is that like he he was kind of uh, I don't know, I not a Bonnie and Clyde kind of figure, but his whole thing was like he would raid police stations to steal their guns. So he would like like invade police stations, steal all the guns bring the guns back to his village and like leave notes to the cops, like daring them to stop him. And like, I mean, at the time, like um, Gandhi, you know, said like, he's amazing. Like I do not approve of his armed rebellion, but I do pay my homage to like his bravery and to his sacrifice because he wound up dying. But when he was 26, he gets executed by a firing squad. And he looked, by the way, very, 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 very much like, like Ramchan. They look very similar. Um, Very good casting. And so, like, these two guys, you know, this is all happening, like, right around the time that, like, Gandhi's movement is, like, really starting. This movie starts in, like, what, 1920-ish? And it's around then that, like, Gandhi, you know, has begun this kind of, like, non-cooperation movement where he's, like, encouraging the people of India, you know, like... If you work for a school, like quit the school, you know, like if you are a lawyer for the government, quit being a lawyer for the government, quit trying to buy British goods. Let's try to just like basically go on like a general strike, you know, something that we talk about here in America, you know, fairly often and increasingly often, you know, to try to figure out how to seize power back in their own country. Well, it's a very nationalistic movie, right? I mean, it is truly like that's, you know, at its core, it is we need to take back what is ours and we need to, and, and we are doing it for the right reasons and, and they are not. And I think the movie is able to, I think that that's part of its DNA. And I know I've read some things on slate and things like that that say, well, there, there are some issues maybe with that in the grand politics of India. And I don't know that much about that to kind of dig in and everybody can do their own work there. But I will say that, what this movie does so well is yes, it has like a nationalistic element. It has a, 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 an, a, just a full on fast and furious element to it. It has this idea. It's a rom-com. It's a musical. It's got all this sort of stuff. But one of the things that I'm most impressed with in the film is how it weaves the story because truly in three hours and 10 minutes, this movie is packed to the gills and you're right. Like maybe if they, took out some slow motion would be 245 but there is very little wasted time in this movie everything is for a greater story point and the story points are small but the way that they unravel it i thought were really interesting because we understand where beam is coming from in the beginning but raju we don't necessarily get his backstory until the intermission until like about an hour and a half into the film and then we finally understand him and so the movie kind of continues with the action sequences with these relationships that are building adding in new information that i think it's almost like uh you ever play that game like katamari 
where it's like a ball and you roll it and it gets bigger and bigger as you kind of pick up stuff. It was like no. a, oh, it was a, as a, as a fun game where you have to like keep on rolling and picking up stuff, but you can never pick up stuff that is bigger than your ball, but you got to get your ball bigger. Anyway, regardless, this movie keeps on doing that, which is like, it's a, it's a ball rolling downhill, but as it rolls, every, every sequence is heightened by the plot that we're learning about it, right? Like all of a sudden now there's a love interest. All of a sudden now there's another reason. All of a sudden he's getting closer. Like everything is working kind of perfectly to keep on raising the stakes from a storytelling perspective. And also, like we said, from an action perspective, but I thought it was actually really well done that they didn't, that they saved a plot line to 90 minutes into it. I mean, these characters don't even really meet until about 30 or 40 minutes into the movie. No, but what I love is that they are immediately friends because when I didn't know what this was about exactly, I thought it would be like, more like heat, you know, it's kind of like cat and mouse throughout the whole thing. Like we like this guy, we're watching this guy chase him, blah, 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 blah. But that they meet and just like instantly have this beautiful bromance, you know, was such a surprise to me. Like, I didn't know that the whole movie, I thought they would become friends in like the second half, I guess, if I was supposed to predict about it. And then they'd realize they have a common enemy. But no, nothing like that. No, they don't even really understand what each other is doing. Like they don't even let each other in. That's like the one of the most interesting things about it. You know, like that they, that Beam is keeping the secret from him. Yeah, and he says he's keeping it not because he doesn't trust him to know that he's like on this quest to steal the girl, but just because if his friend knows that he could be in trouble. Like he, yeah. it's like he loves him so much that he's keeping him from his secret. I was trying to think if we have like any historical figures here in America that I could use as like a parallel to try to get a grip on this story. And like, not really like the closest I was thinking of, maybe you can come up with one that I can't. I was like, is this like a, if like Cesar Chavez and Martin Luther King were friends in like the 1950s and they like motivated each other to start movements in the 60s. But I feel like this country has kind of tokenize our heroes and put them on postage stamps and don't let them, I don't I think, I don't feel like this country like really honors our revolutionary spirit as much as we pretend that we do. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I, I, yeah. I also think that we, we run the risk of not wanting to tell a fake version of events, right? Like there is something about like, you know, when we see, when we see a film, we are treating it like, well, no, you got to tell me what exactly happened. You feel betrayed if it isn't the same. Like, I don't think we could do this. Like, I mean, we, we've done it with like Abraham Lincoln, vampire hunter, you know, or something like that. But in a weird way, I think that we value our truth or we, we don't like want to have fun with it. Whereas this movie keeps the spirit of those two gentlemen, but without having to feel like it has to do anything else. Yeah, and like, isn't that the most important? In a way, it reminds me a little bit of One Night in Miami. You saw that, right? You know, the, the Richard yeah. King movie where it's like Sam Cooke, Malcolm X, Jim Brown, Cassius Clay kind of hanging out in a hotel room and like giving each other what they need to hear at a really pivotal part in their career. I mean, what Raja Mouli said it came from is like it really he was really inspired by the Motorcycle Diaries, you know, the movie about like young yeah. Che Guevara and also Inglorious Bastards. Because he really liked that idea of like Tarantino kind of inverting history and making it big and surprising because it goes without saying that like none of this that we see in the movie is actually what happened at all, like in real life. Like, right. Yeah. Like Raju never was like an undercover cop, you know, right. and like some of the stuff like like that scene where Beam is like, teach me at the end, like 
that is one of the things that people took a little bit of like offense to sort of they're like he didn't need to be taught or he he had learned to read by then or like they felt like there are some people who saw this movie and thought that it made Beam seem like he was less than or less important or less like major right. as a as a figure than like Raju. Um, so yeah, there. Uh, by like by the way, like if you want to know about some of the controversies, like some of the huge controversies about this movie started before people even saw it, because you know when Beam is going undercover, like he um, is posturing as though he's like a Muslim, and so there's like a right. little bit of like you see him eating with the wrong hand, you see him like praying, you know, to like a Hindu god when he thinks that like his friend is dying, and you know these little kind of hints that he's like not being that good at being deep undercover. But because there was that shot of him like in one of the early like releases from the movie where he's wearing um, you know, a little white cap, there was a group of like right wing nationalists who just lost their mind because they thought this movie was saying that he was Muslim. And so they like said that they were going to set fire to every single theater that showed the movie. They said that like, you know, if Rajamouli fails to like change this portrayal, we will dig his grave. Wow. Like it got really, 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 really heated. And there's still like controversies that I'm trying to learn a little bit more about, you know, like, like, for example, there's kind of a controversy that like at the end of this movie, when like these two guys are kind of doing that big dance number about like, you know, inspiring revolution about like the leaders of this country, that like huge ending song, you know, this one. If you look at the leaders they show, uh, Mahatma Gandhi is missing. And so people right. felt like that was kind of like a glaring absence. Like, why is he missing? What is it saying that he's missing? Which I would like to learn more about that because I don't know enough about that to know. I would. I don't know. I don't know. I just know. I know the controversy, but I can't say I know why. And I would like to know more about it. I think that there are some issues here that go deep into Indian politics. And there's this level of nationalism that we talked about. Uh, that, you know, some of the people who have been very outspoken about this say that this film, you know, enforces uh, the caste system. And again, I don't know enough to speak intelligently on it. I just read a handful of articles to try to wrap my head around it. But it is something that is, I think, a little bit of a, a thorny subject. And I think it is, you know, very similar to what we are going through now, like, you know, eliminating certain people because they don't fit the mold of what you want the mold to be, um, you know, and so that is a little bit of what I think is happening in this movie when you read some of the criticisms uh, from a political nature about it. Um, so, you know, it's um, it I think it's it's worthy of discussion. I just don't know if we can necessarily unpack it in a way that would actually be incredibly fair. That's uh, fair. But, and there was something that like I'm just learning about now and like researching this movie that maybe I'll just like read a, a quote from Rajapali. Yeah. Um or from an article like he, that he was talking about. He said, you know, like in 2014, his home state, Andhra Pradesh, was bifurcated into two states, into Telangana and to Andhra Pradesh for like what they called, you know, political and economic reasons mm -hmm. um, after the separation movement that's been happening over there for decades. And 
what Rajamuli said, you know, he's like, listen, both of these states speak the same language. They both speak Telugu. They both share the same food and culture. They both watch the same movies. I had this thought that since Beam is from the Telangana region and since Raju is from the Andhra region, if I can bring these two heroes together, it is my way of saying we are one. We are not separate. And so he also seems to have that underpinning uh, in making this movie. And also, he's a guy who just really loves gigantic kind of reworking epics. You're like, he was asked in an interview, you know, what is your favorite film? And he actually said this, that we covered in our first season of, of Unspooled. Favorite film of all time? I... Too so many. many. Too many, too many, yeah. One. Uh, Ben-Hur. 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 Yeah. Maya Bazaar. The original Ben-Hur. I feel like I can definitely see that in these scenes. I, I bet he wishes he could have had all the real people that like William Myler actually had as extras instead of having to CG a bunch of extras around. But he also then was asked, well, who is your favorite director? And he said, it's probably not surprising, actually, if you've seen this movie. Who is your favorite non-Indian filmmaker? Again, so many. But the first person that always comes to my mind is Mel Gibson. I, I have adored him like anything. I still adore him like anything. His sense of drama, his style of making the, uh, uh, stretching a dramatic movement to its full potential is, uh, is what I like about him. I, I'm on, I don't know how many times I saw his films, each segment, I don't know how many times. You have a favorite film? Yeah, Braveheart. Uh, Braveheart, yes. Yeah. Braveheart. I actually prefer Apocalypto. I just love that. Epoch, movie. Yes, yes. Oh, that's amazing. And I'm like, yeah. There's definitely a lot of Passion of the Christ in the in the scene where Beam is getting whipped and refusing to put his knees on the ground. I mean, the shot. I mean, there's shots. He's just he is being shot as like he's being you know crucified as like he's sort of religious leader. But then I guess there's only so many ways you can torture a human body. So many positions. They I mean, that scene is very. It's a very powerful scene, and I think that you know, regardless of Mel Gibson as a human being and 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 what he has said, like I think he does do action in a really amazing way. I could see like as an action director taking from that like you know not just even from the brutality of it i think if you look at something like apocalypto it's like wow that's like he's able to capture very beautiful action i mean he's a great action director again yeah. there's it's more funny, issues it was actually like apocalypto was too violent for me i couldn't really handle it yeah. but yeah you i mean you're right like you have that moment where like raju he calls Beam a sacrificial lamb. Or he says he's yeah. actually, he's more than a sacrificial lamb. That he's, being, he's been treated like one in that scene, but he's actually a volcano. So if there is, yeah. I guess, a give and take of, I don't want to say lessons because it doesn't feel that saccharine, but, you know, Raju learns from Beam, like the, the ability of a person to be inspirational, which I think like kind of is why he puts on that, you know, outfit like Rama at the end of the movie, you know, the sort of like the orange yeah. drapey um, and turns himself into like a symbol. This idea of like, you know, he's been walking this path of hiding what his intentions and then like leaning into being a symbol at the end. Like I can motivate people by being myself. I'm hung up on this idea that Apocalypto is too violent because I don't disagree with that. But I'm also <laughs> thinking about how we view violence in movies because there's a part of me that's like, wow, I think I could actually show this to one of my kids and they would really like it or at least sections of it to them uh, because I don't, you know, one of them doesn't read. But the violence in this movie, for the most part, like there are some, obviously the whipping scenes and the bloodshed. This is a movie that I think really straddles an interesting line because it's an elevated PG-13, right? Like it's not as violent as we are used to but it is a 
but it's violent enough to make you feel like there's something happening. I don't know. Like, what did you think? Because like, when I think back at the movie, I don't really think about the bloodshed. Like, I think about, yes, there are a couple of moments. Like we said, the whipping scene, uh, the end moment where they finally come face to face with the uh, the bad guy, the British guy, after they basically destroy the palace, you know, and he's sitting there in the rubble. Like, But this movie isn't incredibly bloody, yeah, it doesn't feel bloody until the second half. Like the first half to me is not that bloody at all. Like, you know, the one versus a thousand fight is broken limbs. At the right. end, you see a lot of people limping. Right. Um, then there's the fight with the, you know, the tiger, which is just sort of like amazing and badass. And he's bleeding, but it's like he's bleeding in a way that isn't bloody. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, he also poured bleeding, that blood on himself. Exactly. Um, but it's in the second half where I feel like it actually gets more gruesome. Because even at the end of the, right. even at the big like tiger half, you're kind of at the tiger battle at the end of the first act. You're just seeing people getting pounced on. And you're hearing just like, oh my God, I love just hearing all the animals go by in slow motion. That reveal that he had all those animals in that truck ready and he explodes out of that truck with two torches in his hands, followed by like a Noah's Ark of the most deadly animals is one of the most fun. Like that should be on every college dorm room wall. Like it is. There's no cooler image in an action film than this. And I keep on thinking to myself, well, what's next? Like I I see Tom Cruise going like, I want... Rajamuli to direct my next film. I want, you know, not that it's all real, but there is something about these two actors. I feel like these actors are going to make their way into being the third bad guy, or like I said, Ethan Hunt's, you know, uh, you know, Mumbai operative in Mission Impossible. I feel that these guys are now going to be taken into American cinema, but I. I, oh, for sure. Only, if, yeah. only maybe they don't want to. But like, well, that's they're definitely going to get yeah. invited. Yeah, they're definitely getting invited. Because they are attractive men. They are funny. They are amazing dancers. They are amazing action stars. They have everything. I mean, obviously, they are multilingual, which is, you know, another facet to them. But they truly are these charming guys. And, and I know that they thought of this movie as like a singular film. But now they're talking about, well, maybe there's a way we can maybe do a sequel. we'll do a sequel. Well, but um, okay. I have to ask you: Could you, could you ever move past a thing that I was getting very stuck on in this film, which is just like how much J.K. NTR looks like Belushi? He looks so much like John Belushi. This whole movie that I still actually think of that character as John Belushi. Like John Belushi is, was fighting a tiger. John I Belushi not, was riding a horse. I did not think about that at all. I did not really? see that. I did not see that at all. I no. could not get past it, the, his Belushi face, which I loved. I loved his Belushi face. It was so goofy. I mean, like when he when he's like learning how to pick up a girl and doing it incredibly clumsily and just having such a goofy, dorky smile. It, when she uh, when like the British lady is telling him that she loves his eyes and he just can't handle it. It was overwhelming. The beat pulsating through your body, the flying feet, the flashing eyes. The eyes. Actor, 
Your deep, expressive eyes always seem like they're searching for something. Jenny, That whole goofy bit where he's like, he thought that her name was like, don't call me Mem Sahib, my yeah. name is just Jenny. Like, he, I love I loved seeing like the comedy side of him as well. By the way, that actress um, who's playing Jennifer, Olivia Morris, I think she's pretty great in this movie, but that part was actually supposed to go to Daisy Me. Edgar Jones. Oh. <laughs> but no, Daisy Edgar Jones of Fresh. Have you seen Fresh yet? Oh yeah, I love Fresh. Ah, uh, yeah. She was supposed to play that part. And then I think like, she had signed on, she had agreed, and then she left. At the time, I think she, they said that she left because of family things, but like a month later, it was announced that she was in Normal People. So maybe she left because she was like, this is actually my path. But how fun if she was in this movie. How oh my God, it would have been amazing. By the way, this movie took 300 days to shoot. 300 days, which is makes sense because it's incredibly massive. I can't even wrap my head around how they orchestrated this. So then here's my question for you. It's a bigger question. What does this mean for American film? Because right now, to see a, you know, a Tollywood movie uh, or a Hyperbod movie, truly take on an American blockbuster, become something that not only is as big as what we have as an American blockbuster. And by the way, I was thinking about Ethan Hunt pulling these guys in. These guys will definitely be in Fast 10, part two, uh, because they, you know, they still got time to get them in there. But, uh, but I guess in my mind, it's like, what does this mean for American cinema? Is this a wake-up call? You know, this, and I, and again, not to keep on hitting Maverick over and over again, but this idea of an unabashed, fun popcorn movie. Like, when you watch videos of people watching this movie in the theaters, like in India, there are fireworks going off inside, like sparklers going off. People are high-fiving like you and your boyfriend did, like cheering, chanting. This is going to be, I believe a movie that is played at Alamo draft houses that people are go to. This is going to be something that I think is going to have a big effect on people making these types of movies. Cause how can you ignore it? Do you think that we make a switch at all? And what would that switch be? You know, what I would like to see is I think we've combined a few things as truth points in film in like the last 15 years that don't have to be like I think we've said big superhero action movies are not dumb they are prestigious um they are for adults if they are from adults they should be taken seriously to be taken seriously they should be about like trauma and sadness for some reason and like our superhero movies have just gotten really depressing i think they've sort of squished this all together it's like well if you're gonna have an interesting superhero he's got to be screwed up in some way he's got to be dark he's got to be wrestling with his deep emotions and i i mean i personally am like beyond over it i couldn't be more over it this has been going on for so long that like our big movies aren't fun and i would like this to remind us like a 
big movies need to be fun. They should be fun. And B, human emotions. I feel like we're going to be just repeating it over and over again, but it's so important. I mean, Raja Mali himself said, you know, if a film is based on human emotions, it can translate beyond its language. And that is a thing that's missing. As much as they're mopey and dark, I don't feel human emotions when I look at even the very talented Robert Pattinson in The Batman. I feel nothing in his face. I don't care about what he's feeling. It's well, not, but it's I, not real to me. It's all like tricky and dark, but it's not lived in. What I guess you're saying, and I'm not trying to like re-explain you to you, but I, what I'm, what I'm hearing though is- If you could, is, that'd be wonderful because my <laughs> God, I don't understand. But like big movies require big emotion. And I think what we've gone to is big movies with very low-key emotion, right? And, it, and, and I think you need to maximize both elements of it because we're in this heightened world. We need to see these hugs. It's like, it's why- there are these moments in the Avengers movies when they're all there. And like when that portal opens, spoiler alert, at the end of the last Avengers movie and everyone starts to come through and it's like the music is pumping and everyone's like, we got your back. Like those are the 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 cry points, right? Like those moments where you're like, oh, I feel like we want those moments. We want those hugs. We want those arm grabs. And I think that like Patrick Swayze is a perfect example, like the relationship between him and Keanu and Point Break or him and Sam Elliott and Roadhouse. Like there's this like brotherly love. And it's, I'm not talking about homoerotic. I'm just talking about like this idea, like fa- like family bonding. Fast and Furious has basically been leading that charge kind of underground. I think that I love Hobbs and Shaw. I think Hobbs and Shaw is fucking great, but there's something very earnest about the fast movies that make it a little bit more endearing. That's like, like it is about family. We're going to get together. We're going to have a dinner. There is something there that I think is important. And this movie does a really good job of like saying, like, no, no, we want that too. We're not, we're not over it. And I think that we are often trying to be like, the audience is too smart. The audience wants this, the audience wants that, but we just want to feel viscerally connected to something. That's why I yeah. love Aquaman, that James Wan movie. I'm like, fuck yeah, man. Octopus playing the drums. A hundred percent. This is great. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and like, and malignant, like, yeah, she's got a face in the back of her head. Hell yeah. Like, let it be crazy. Let it be fun. Um, and I think like the best popcorn movies, and I mean popcorn, like that is a, popcorn is not like a, oh, it's so bad, it's good, or guilty pleasure. I hate those terms. Um, I just mean like this idea of like, I want to see this in a crowded theater. I want to see Chippendale in a crowded theater. I want to see MacGruber in a crowded theater. I want to be with people that are, I saw MacGruber, the Peacock series in a crowded theater. And it was like one of the most fun experiences. Just like, you know, these these things. I think the reason why Jurassic Park Dominion did so well was because, and I don't know whether or not it worked, but people wanted that experience. I want to go see Jeff Goldblum and dinosaurs and Chris Pratt. Let's bring it. And whether or not it paid off on that, I don't know. Uh, But there's that want to have that community. And I think maybe that's what we're coming out of in in this post-COVID world. And to not have our big moments, I think, telegraphed to us as you know, what they mean and what they mean is important, but not what they feel like is important. I, I'm explaining that badly, but what I mean is like, you know, you talked about like Endgame and like everybody coming through the portal and blah, blah, blah. And like, there's that minute where all of the female superheroes are like, we got this, you know? And it was a moment where it's like, okay, it's big, I guess. And it's acting like it's important, but they have missed me feeling anything about this moment. Right. But I know intellectually that I'm supposed to be like, great feminism or whatever, but it it doesn't, it feels like slapped on and it feels, it felt manipulative to me and it didn't feel lived in the way that like, 
oh my God, when they're like walking up to see Raju when he's been imprisoned and they're like, he's probably dying now. He's probably starving to death and he's just doing pull-ups. And then they're like, well, we're going to beat him and throw him into solitary confinement. And when they put him in solitary confinement, he just immediately starts doing pull-ups again. Yeah. I felt that, man. I felt that. But, you know, I've been feeling this more and more with movies. Like I saw Hustle, uh, the Adam Sandler movie on Netflix, which I also it's really so love. It's so good. It's so, so good, good, isn't it? It's so good. It's a rocky story. It's a basketball story. It's fun. And I think, you know, what I liked about that movie, and no spoilers, it's just like Adam Sandler wasn't like a fuck up. His wife didn't hate him. Like, he's like a, a good dad, good at his job, takes a risk. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're so yeah. used to imbuing all these faults, all these things on people, like lay, like laying them low. And, and there's a joy in just enjoying people be good at what they do. And they have a belief and they have a passion and they move forward. And I think, you know, life is so hard right now all around. And we do want to, to escape. We want to have fun and we want to just, I think, not be reminded. We want to take a break. And I think that that's okay. I think that's okay to escape and we can feel pride in ourselves and feel like I am one of these people. It's like what we said in Spider-Man, like every one of these movies we just talked about, I feel like is encapsulated in RRR. It's like anyone can be a hero. Like these guys are just normal guys who just have a belief that they can make a difference. that can make a change and they're working to do it. And yes, there's Superman too, but there is this idea of just a purity of, I can say I love you. I can say that you mean the world to me. I can say that you're my best friend. I can say I'm sorry. Like, they're, like these are all these things that I think that we don't necessarily like lay out because they feel like, oh, lame or cheap or blah. But there is something about the plainness of it. I know, I keep on no, changing the, it. But there is. I mean, and what you're saying, I feel like it's even there in the music because mm -hmm. the music is great. And like so much of this amazing score is based on sounds that human beings make. It's not based on like gigantic bomb, brack, dong, ba, 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 you know? I mean, from the opening song on, it's a score composed of humanity. Right. I mean, those breeze and the clacks and the, the bips and the buffs and just people making noise like this. It makes this film feel like it is made by and for human beings and not by some like algorithm or focus group or test thing. And that like really, it, I really like adored it, you know, and I, and sure, this movie also has, you know, the trauma backstory. I mean, it's, I find it really affecting what happens to Raju when you realize what his childhood was like that. Like, I mean, we are just like really talking about plot points, right? We are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that like when you realize in the second half that part of what turned him into having to be just like a I make cold decisions that hurt people I love for a greater good is because his dad trained him just to kill people when he's crying for the greater good of India, including his own dad. That load aim shoot sequence is, I mean, it is brutal. It is emotionally brutal and it is physically brutal. And I feel like We've been afraid of the emotional brutality in our own movies. We've had the physical or we've had the CG killing bugs kind of physical, but we haven't had this like, oh, wow, 
I feel something for this character and I feel the weight of everything that is happening for them. And it feels like so deep. Lord. Lord. Baba. Ma. Choto Baba. Lord. It's hard. It's hard. It is not like in this moment, living in 2022 right now. Did I have moments where I, like, I was watching this movie and I was like, man, it is weird that like the greatest thing about this movie is everybody getting a gun. Like, ah, it like it's hard. It's hard. And I know that this is about a different time period. And I know this is about like a fight that needed to be fought, you know, a fight for freedom in this country that needed to be that needed to be waged. But also, man. Man, it was like it was it was hard sometimes for for me to kind of like recalibrate, you know, my own feelings about like weaponry, like the happy ending. The happy ending here is like, you know, Beam learning to shoot his first gun and like this, you know, this story that we get told throughout the movie by like the, 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 you know, the big bad, the big British man. Oh, that's like so painful in like using the analogy of like the cost of one but one what bullet to talk about the way that the this british character felt about like indian life you know that kind of demeaning that 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 value of a bullet speech that he gives in the beginning it was manufactured in an english factory using english metals across the seven seas in an english vessel by the time it reached the barrel of your gun it cost one pound one pound sterling and you would want to squander it on brown rubbish. But that's what makes the right. end like so much more like that last moment where they kill him with yeah. that one bullet. Like it is it's the perfect. I think we've we've um, watched so many quick quips when you kill the bad guy like, you know, your diplomatic immunity has been revoked you know like all these moments but is that a real one or did you just make oh that's that's lethal weapon too for sure when they killed joss ackland um and um but like that moment it's not a quip it's in a it's in a it is a full circle moment that makes it like yes it is it is like a good guy like here's my tagline i'm gonna kill you but it has so much more emotional weight because it actually has been seeded through this entire movie. And and it is about someone who truly doesn't think that that these people are worth a, a pound or, you know, whatever the money is there, you know, like worth a dollar. And it is it's it's not only about killing someone, it's it's you know, it it's proving worth. It's it's proving there's so many things at play in that one line in that kill line, I guess I should say, that is like, it, it makes it, you're also like, yeah, but it also, it has more weight than just like, looks like your castle went boom, you know, whatever it is, you know, or whatever it is, you know, <laughs> taxation like without, re- taxation without representation <laughs> is over, you know, it's like, but, but, um, you know, I, I just think that there is, 
a lot of lessons to be learned here about like what is fun. And it's not at the expense of everything else. Like there should be all types of movies made, but I think that we have gotten into watching this movie made me feel like we gotten into a creative rut with yeah. some of the movies that I dearly, dearly love. Yeah. Um, and it's the reason why I think I do appreciate movies like Fast and Furious. And I talk about it at length because it is something that is like, oh, there's a purity there. There's something I, I love about Face Off. You know, there's a purity there. There's like, and I think that that is this ability to, I guess, be a little bit more sentimental. And I think we 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 penalize people for being sentimental a lot, mm-hmm. you know. And 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 there is something just nice about we all want it. We all want the card, you know. We all like, I don't really need a card, but then you like it when you get a card. It's nice to get a card. Yeah. Thank you for my birthday card, by the way. It was very oh, sweet. You, you know, look, I try. Uh, you <laughs> also the, do great birthday cards. Oh, but if, if the <laughs> toughest guys in the world can ride like flaming chariots drawn by four white horses and also cry and love being friends with each other, why can't we all get a little more vulnerable? I like it. And I do. I will say it again. I like a good old fashioned apology. Like there's some like Beam doesn't really need to apologize. Like he didn't do anything wrong. Like he, you know, he didn't kill him. Uh, but like, you know, but there is something about admitting fault, too. And it's something we don't often see, like this infallibility between characters. Like, you know, like I'm never going to back down or, you know, the way that they talk about, oh, well, this person can only get punched one twi- uh, one time because, you know, he or he can't be defeated. Oh, yeah. like, you know, all that kind of bullshit. Like this is these characters are still fallible while being superhuman. And I think that that's. I don't know. I, I have so much to say. I fucking love this movie. It's great. It's fun. Um, and it's exciting to see maybe the beginning of a trend. And I think that this is all part of it. Like, you know, whether it is Fast and Furious, Maverick, RRR, Shit's Creek, Aquaman, like all these things that are building and just like embracing what we, what we love about, you know, big fun ideas. We just want to, I even put Abbott Elementary in there as like a show. It's like, it's just a funny sitcom. Like, let's make it funny. Let's make it good. Great characters, great things. Let's do jokes. Uh, but I, I mean, I've looked and it seems very hard to find anyone who says something negative about this movie. What do you, what do you find? I did find one. Like the, okay. the negative reviews that have come from this film uh, are all from Indian film critics, which makes sense because they can see more in this than I, than I can. They're, they understand nods that I don't get and they know these original men much better than I do. So the one that I pulled is from Rohan Nahar of the Indian Express, and this is what he wrote. Director S.S. Rajamouli is a maximalist ode to machismo, nationalism, and male bonding. RRR pushes the boundaries of believability on a minute-to-minute basis, but nothing... No amount of CG tigers, race-blind romance, and miraculous Jedi booties test the limit of your good faith more than Ram Charan's character. I was genuinely bothered by what I was supposed to forgive about Raju, especially when it comes to Raju's actions. Why, I asked myself, did Raju Muli write a scene in which his hero murders and maims innocent Indian protesters with clinical cruelty? Surely there could have been a better way to communicate his dedication to the secret cause. Surely a godlike being such as himself, endowed as he is with the power of flight, could have found a way to secure his target without harming his fellow countrymen first. He would have been equally guilty even if he'd captured his target without inflicting violence upon anybody. He would have also been wrestling with the same feelings of betrayal, and the movie would have gotten its point across. He also, this critic, also really kind of got into it with the beating scene as well. You know, he says like, 
a shot of a single teardrop dramatically trickling down his eye does not cut it. You know, inspired by Beam's song, this public lashing inspires the gathered crowd to rise up in a revolt, which ironically is not what Raju had intended. But imagine if he had intended that. It would have explained his behavior and perhaps helped us sympathize with him a little more. Raja Muli, the director, just routinely ignores simple fixes such as this. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of a few, Spock said in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. And while his utilitarian philosophy can be filtered through Raju's perspective, you will not catch Spock whipping Captain Kirk in order to get in bed with Khan. Hmm. So basically, he's just like elbowing Raja Muli. He's like, you know, uh, like you and your dad came up with this complicated way of telling Raju's character. But I feel like if you had thought a little bit harder, we wouldn't have even had to have these scenes where he's like hurting a bunch of people, beating his friend without some sort of more intention behind it. Besides, I just have to keep staying undercover that like he wished that he had twisted it a little bit more. So like maybe he knew that if by beating Beam, he would inspire a revolution Maybe but that, that makes him that it? that makes it yeah. more heroic. I think what makes it more interesting, like I disagree with that from a standpoint of like the character, like if he knew that his actions of beating Beam would create a revolution, then he doesn't go through the pain of doing that. That's he true. is so committed to his own goal, and the you know it's it's the it's it's a very it's another Star Trek analogy where it's like like the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. Right. And that's and then that gets converted in, you know, when uh, when they go back and save Spock and, and Kirk goes, oh, the needs of the one, you know, but uh, but <laughs> uh, but but like that's that's the idea. Like he has this is nothing he wants to do. And he and he does have a crisis of conscience. And I think that crisis of conscience in that moment lets him realize, like, I need to figure out how to get him out of there. And he puts everything at risk and it actually reveals him and puts him in jail like it. It. It wrecks his whole plan. Like, I, I actually think that that's a brilliant way that he did that. I, I think that to undercut it like that makes it too, too uh, storybooky. Fair enough. I was All I right. was a little swayed by it, but you have now swayed me back. So congratulations. There we go. And with that, um, I'd, I'd like to throw a hard question at you as we're yeah. wrapping up. Of everything you have seen in this epic movie, what is your favorite scene? Ooh, that's a great question. I mean, I talked about that moment where the truck opens up and the animals are out. That is pretty much one of the most visually fun things I've ever seen. But it is hard to beat, truly hard to beat, uh, the the bridge scene. The bridge scene where our two main characters meet for the first time, where they see each other from a thousand feet away they form a very complicated plan and then pull it off to perfect execution there. That to me feels like, like a scene for the ages. I know we talk about like, would we blast something to outer space? I would blast that scene into outer space. No questions asked. Uh, what about you? You know, it, it's tough. The scene that I keep thinking about weirdly more than any other scene is that dance number where the guys are perfectly in sync the one oh where they're like, gosh, with, the dance yeah, number, yes. Yeah, the, the not, the not, the not, the not, the not, the, this yeah. one, which has been stuck in my head. I've been going crazy with the stuck in my head ever since I rewatched it. Hey, 
Oh, I've been listening to this on Spotify. It's amazing. <laughs> I want to thank, by the way, that uh, Netflix for having the subtitles on for this part. Because when I saw the movie in theaters, they didn't have the subtitle on for the song lyrics. So getting to know what they're singing, that they're just singing dance, dance, oh, dance, wow. dance, dance, dance. I appreciate that. But their like syncopation is so incredible. And then that beat where like Raju decides to lose the dance contest to Beam just so Beam can impress the girl. That was so sweet. I was genuinely touched by that. So that was that, the that's one, the number that I keep thinking about. You know, it's so true. That's the uh, the one sequence I showed my whole family, and they went nuts for it. And I will say that the idea of the uh, the suspender dance part of that was oh, pretty so epic. Good, really, so good. really good. I mean, maybe this will inspire more of our actors to dance. I mean, they keep by the way, that, like, that's what it is. Style that's... thing. They're like, oh, we're just grooving. But this is no. dancing. There's a difference between grooving and dancing. I'm going to say if you are an amazing action star, you can dance. Put Tom. I, I, I think Tom Cruise could dance up a storm. I and mean, we saw him dance in uh, Tropic Thunder. We Let's could. see more dancing. Yeah, more I mean, it works dancing. in the reverse. Michelle Yeoh was a ballet dancer. And then she oh, became yeah. like, to me, one of my favorite action stars of all time. And now dramatic stars. I'm in. I'm all in. Well, Amy, this has been amazing. What a great addition to our Heroes Saga. And what do we have next up? You know what I want to do? I mean, can you ride with me for a little bit? Because, like, yeah. I'm going to throw a curveball at you. We just did RRR. I love it. I'm so glad we went over to this corner of the world. I kind of want to go to a different corner of the world. I want to go next to Hong Kong. Uh, this Ooh. movie made me want to watch a Jackie Chan movie so bad. And I, I think the one that we need to watch has Michelle Yeoh in it. I think we have to watch Supercop. Have you seen Supercop? <gasps> I have not seen Supercop. Ah, oh my God. If you love this movie, you will love Supercop. You will love Supercop. Jackie Chan, oh, talk about purity, humor, comedy, entertainment. Michelle Yeoh, she's amazing in this movie. Michelle Yeoh's having a great year, so I'm all about like celebrating the Michelle Yeoh right now. I'm excited because Maggie Chang is in this and I just watched Irma Vep for the first time. <gasps> oh, And yeah. she's so great in that uh, because I started watching the new Irma Vep on HBO, which is also great. But this is great. Oh, look at this. I love the combo here. This is perfect. <gasps> oh, you're going to die. Oh, my God. The stunts in this are wild. Wild, 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 wild. Oh, okay. Super Cup? Yes? We're going to do yes, it? Yes, let's do it. Ah, I'm so excited. Well, then, Super Cup. Next week on Unspooled. You know, this is a trailer, just because I think this movie is too visual, uh, we won't play the trailer, but we will say that it's available pretty much wherever you get your movies uh, streamed for a price. <laughs> and that you will not have a better night than making a bunch of popcorn and watching Supercop. Oh, <laughs> cannot wait. Enjoy. That's all for today's show. And remember to rate and review this show. Tell people about it. It really, truly helps. A big thank you to our super producer, Josh Richmond, and our audio engineer extraordinaire, Devin Bryant. Thank you guys for making this show sound so amazingly great. And our MVP behind the scenes, Molly Reynolds, for making sure that this show runs on time and that we have our research at hand. I also want to give a shout out to Kim Troxell for her amazing art. And if you want to keep this conversation going, please do so at discord.gg slash Paul Shear. There's an unspooled section there where we have debates and votes and polls. We also have our Facebook group, the Unspooled Podcast Facebook group, that is still an amazing place to be. I want to give a huge uh, shout out to everyone in all those forums for keeping these conversations going. And I also want to let you know that you can head on over to tpublic.com to check out our Unspooled merch. That's right, go to tpublic.com slash stores slash Unspooled to see what we got in the store. And that's all. We'll see you next week on Unspooled. <laughs>